excited. Really quick. Uh, I just want to try something out really, really fast. Uh, can everyone here, can I just get like a, hey Fantastic. For those of you who are at Otis Orchards right now, can I get an amen? Perfect. If you're at Freeman right now, can I get a hallelujah? And if you are at our online campus right now, can you post a link to your favorite recipe in the comment section? Uh, that way I can bake that later and um, it will just be delicious. And so that way we'll just know you're there. Uh, we can say what's up. So man, thanks for being with us today. It has been, uh, it's been a long time since we've gotten to be in here. You know, we, we've got to spend some time together at drive-in services and online, but to just be in here is fantastic. But we have so, so much to cover today in such a little time that we're just going to jump right into this. We're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. This is the next part of our Unchained series as we're going through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, before we do this, uh, it's important that I point something out to you about this passage. You're going to turn to it, and, and you're going to see that it is, um, well, it's not the scriptural juggernaut that other passages that Paul writes might be. Uh, it, it, there's, no, there's no metaphorical mic drops of theological power. It's just kind of like, <laughs> here it is. Uh, but it makes a little bit bigger of an impact if you know the context of what you're working with. So uh, I just really quick, I want to explain the power of context both in scripture and just in life in general, and then we'll jump into the passage. So uh, last week, I was here at our drive-in service. It was July 5th. It was the morning. And uh, within the first 30 minutes of being here at church, six different staff members came up and asked me this question. Hey, Trevor, how's your butt? <laughs> Which is, uh, I don't know if you've ever had someone ask you how your butt is, but there are five stages of grief. And, and let, me, let me walk you through what happens in this. The first person comes up and says, hey, Trevor, how's your butt? And you go, not today, pervert. And you just don't answer them. You just go, get away. The second person goes, hey, Trevor, how's your butt? And you go, like, did I, did I sit in something? Am I bleeding? Like, what is happening? Uh, when the third person says, hey, Trevor, how's your butt? You email HR. <laughs> you say, hey, there's something going on in the workplace. I'm not a fan. By the time the fourth, fifth, and sixth person asks you how your butt is, you just go, there's something wrong with my butt. <laughs> it's just, that's just the way it is. And here's the thing. I'm telling you this, and you're going, First of all, this guy has talked about his butt a lot already. Second of all, dude, quarantine's been good for Dan. And I just need to point out, if you're joining just now, I'm Trevor, not Dan. So I know, you're like, you're like he's looking good. But children's pastor, not lead pastor. So, and after comments like that, never getting that job. So let me say something about this. Uh, three weeks ago, I signed up for a 112-mile bike ride I have not been on a bike in two years. Now, if you've ever gone from not riding a bike to riding a bike, you'll understand that uh, you can be a little sore afterwards. To quote Kevin Malone from The Office, the dogs are barking. And I, I, I was just a little bit sore after riding 30 miles with a friend of mine. And so people saw that I had posted about my rides. So they came up and they asked, they said, hey, Trevor, how's your butt? Not as weird when you know the context. But if you just go, hey, that VRL staff, they're a little too relational, don't you think? Uh, so that's a little bit of the context. Here's another example. Something that happened just this last week. It was brand new for me. Uh, I texted a friend. I said, hey, um, people told me that raising kids you know, would be tough, the terrible twos. But like, I have a one-year-old. And like, dude, one-year-olds are jerks. I said these words, oh, one-year-olds are jerks. And if, if all you know is that I'm the children's pastor, you think you probably shouldn't be because 
you shouldn't work with kids if you think one-year-olds are jerks. But anyone who's raised a one-year-old goes, oh yeah, one-year-olds are jerks. So are two-year-olds. So are three-year-olds. So are four-year-olds. And turns out that's just raising kids. But I never thought I would say the words that one-year-olds are jerks. But my son, he's one. He turned to me, said his first sentence. He said, hey, dad, thanks for passing on your bowed legs and clinical depression. And I was like, my goodness, savage. So that's the importance of context, that someone can say they are upset with one-year-olds or that their butt hurts, and it just makes a little bit more sense. So as we jump into Philippians 2, verse 19 through 30, it's going to be important that we understand the context. And here's what's going on in Paul's context. See, see we read it as chapters and verses. We go, okay, we're going to read chapter 1, verses this, this. Paul wrote a letter. He didn't break it down, chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter, start to finish, you know, to the church, sincerely, okay? So we're going to go back and look at what he wrote because what he said earlier in the letter makes way more sense as to what he's saying in today's passage. So just to summarize, in Philippians 1, 12 through 26, here's what Paul says. He is in prison, but it is a blessing because the good news is being spread. He said, I'm in prison, but the people around have heard that I am okay and that I am in prison for the gospel and that they don't need to be afraid and the gospel is being spread. So that is a good thing. In Philippians 1, 27 through 30, he says, hey, it's really important that you don't only believe in Christ, but that you must suffer for Christ. Again, not saying like, hey, at some point you might suffer for Christ. He's saying, hey, you will suffer for Christ. And that is an important theological point. It goes on Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and and he summarizes it with this. He says, hey, don't look out for your own good over the good of the church. Again, he's not saying like ignore yourself, but he's saying don't put yourself before the church. And on that same note, be humble. And finally, last week, uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 18, we learned this, that we should do everything without complaining and arguing, which again, makes a lot of sense, but he was going, hey, this is a really important piece that you need to do everything without complaining and arguing. And Paul writes these, not just as general words of wisdom, but, but he writes them to really say, hey, uh, these are the things that you need to be working on. You need to focus on putting the church above yourself. You need to not complain. You need to be humble. These are the things that I want you to focus on. Which brings us to today's passage, Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And so uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. And so uh, just follow along with me, please. If the, Lord is, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here, that is, in prison. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to me in my time of need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you. For I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. 
here's Timothy. Here's Epaphroditus. Okay. Be humble. Put the church first. Don't complain. Here's Timothy. Okay. This is not, this is the part of your 365 day Bible reading plan where you go, sweet, skip day, and you just pass. It's like the whole book of Numbers, you know, because let's be honest, you don't read it. So we get to this passage. But when we talk about context, it's important to know a couple of things. The first thing is this. Let's look at the city and the church in Philippi. Paul is writing a letter to Philippi. When we read Paul's letters, we read generally. We read that we should be good to others. We read that we should be humble. We read that we shouldn't complain or argue. But here's what Paul's saying. Hey, Philippi, get it together. (laughs) Okay, I I got some word from Epaphroditus who came to visit me. And I said, hey, how's the church doing? And he said, oh, what a bunch of complainers. So he says, hey, quit complaining and arguing. And they said, hey, how are things going when things get tough? And he goes, they're bailing when things get tough. So he goes, hey, it's not enough to believe. You have to suffer for the church. You have to suffer for Christ. He is writing this not generally to them. He is writing to them specifically. And then when he wanted to talk to the church in Corinth, he wrote Corinthians. And we wanted to talk to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote Thessalonians. He's writing this to specific people. So he writes this to the church in Philippi. Now, this is important about what Paul writes, because in this, he says, hey, I'm writing you these important words, and I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why? Because I'm in jail, and at some point, I will make my way to you. Now, keep in mind, Paul is here going, hey, Philippi, get it together. (laughs) I'm hearing some not awesome things. But it's not to the point of heresy that he goes, hey, you're teaching false things, and people are going to fall away from the Lord. He says, I'll get there when I have time but you do need to make some changes. And I'm gonna send Epaphroditus and I'm gonna send Timothy and they're gonna talk to you about this. Which brings us to Timothy. Now, Timothy is is one of Paul's dudes, okay? They have traveled together. He gets his own two books in the Bible where Paul writes letters to him. Uh, A lot of those letters are, you know, a lot of that chunk is about about church leadership and personal leadership. And he just says, Timothy, you, you are solid, man. And I'm gonna send you ahead to go and talk to the people in Philippi. But this is what's really interesting. If we jump back to what he says about Timothy, he says this. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But if you remember earlier in the letter, what he said was, hey, it's really important that you put the church before yourself. So he says, hey, that thing I told you to work on, I'm gonna send someone who's really good at doing that. And then he goes to Epaphroditus and he says, hey, I'm also going to send Epaphroditus. Now he's from Philippi. He's the hometown hero. He says, I'm going to send him back to you. You sent him to me with, and it, it seems likely that they took up an offering and sent Epaphroditus with some correspondence to Paul and some money to help him along the way. And he said, while he was helping me, he was fantastic, but he got sick. And, and Paul, the guy who is beat up and stoned and thrown in prison and like near death, like every other chapter of the Bible goes, yeah, he almost didn't make it. Like it says, he was ill to the point that he might die, but the Lord had mercy on him and had mercy on me that I might not have one sorrow after another. I'm gonna send him back to you. See, he said, hey, it's important that you don't just believe in Christ, but that you suffer for the gospel. And he said, I'm gonna send you someone who has suffered to the point of near death, but stayed with me and did the things with me that you couldn't do from afar. He's been a faithful servant, and he stuck with me. And that is something that you guys need to see in action. 
So Paul writes these words, but the important part is that he doesn't just write these, these letters or these words of, of advice to them. He goes, I just, I don't know if you're going to follow the words. So I'm going to send you a living example. When I say put the church before yourself, do what Timothy does. When I say that you're going to suffer and you need to stand by the church and stand by Christ, be like Epaphroditus. You see, the, the thing I really love about these guys, though, is this. They weren't famous for walking on water, raising the dead, healing the blind, preaching to thousands. We see that from other guys. We see that from Paul. We see that from Peter. We see that from other disciples and other apostles. That's not what these guys did, okay? They were just consistently living examples of Christ. And that's, that's where we come into play here is that we may never claim to be perfect examples of following Jesus, but if you claim to follow Jesus, that means you are a living example of Christ. And that means that when people look to you, they should see Jesus. See the things that you think and say and do impact the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. These are, these are super important things to know that when you hold out the words of life and you tell someone about Jesus, they need to see those things written on your life. And Timothy and Epaphroditus get highlighted in this passage because they were just really good at being consistently, ordinarily faithful. See, consistent, ordinary acts of service make an extraordinary impact. Why does Timothy get mentioned? Because he was humble, because he served. It wasn't all the other things he did. It wasn't the things that he wrote. It wasn't all the people that he changed their lives. It's that he served. For Epaphroditus, it was simply this. He persevered. When things got tough, he didn't give up. And he said, hey, you and Philippi, you're giving up. Follow Epaphroditus. Do what he does as he follows Christ. This is going to be crucial for the spread of the gospel in Philippi. And so if we were going to write a letter to the church in Spokane Valley or write a letter to the church in Seattle or write a letter to the church in Los Angeles, it wouldn't say these exact things that Paul says. It would really look specific to us. But if there's something that I know to be true, it's this, that consistently ordinary is not very ordinary. Like, who, who out here could say that as a follower of Christ, they would lead the league in not complaining? Like, if your coworkers took a vote of who complains the least in your office, do you win the title? If your coworkers took a vote on who is the most joyful, if they said, hey, who's the most humble, who serves others the best? If your neighborhood said, hey, who's the person that helps bring in other people's trash cans? Do you, do you win the trophy? Because that's such a simple, ordinary thing to do, to just go a little bit out of your way to serve somebody else. Because when they look at you, they should see the image of Christ. Because Paul said to the church in Philippi, I don't know if the words that you see are gonna be enough. You need to see this in action. And people are looking to you to see this in action. I have had the opportunity to spend some time with a particular person that I think exemplifies this better than anyone else on planet Earth. 
Uh, and his name is Ronald Cazito. He's our partner over in Fort Portal, Uganda. And Ronald lives his life on this metaphorical teeter-totter between I am always rushing and I'm never in a hurry. <laughs> Which when I say that, you go like, those are the same thing. No, they're different. He's always rushing, but he's never, ever in a hurry. When he is going somewhere, it is full steam ahead, foot on the pedal to the metal. He gets there. And once he is at his destination, he is there to meet with someone. He is there to pray with someone. He is there to take care of someone. That's where he is. There is no hurry. He is, he is here for you the entire time. And once that's done, he is rushing off to the next place. And while he's going there, his phone rings 15 times and it go, he goes, yeah, hello? Yeah, 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 okay, that's it. And he just adds it to his to-do list. Next, yeah, 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 okay. And then he shows up at the next place and his phone continues to ring. Doesn't answer it because I'm with you. I am not in a hurry. The person he's with has no idea that on the way there, he had four more appointments added to his schedule that day. He doesn't go, oh, well, that's, that's my hour. I gotta go somewhere else. He's like, listen, they can wait. Ronald is late for almost everything. <laughs> because he is there with the person who needs him right now. Just think about your own life. How ordinary is that for you? That you are completely present with the person that you're with. What's amazing about Ronald in this though, is that he is so present, but what he is doing is investing intentionally in these people. See, so many of the people that he's meeting with are other pastors and other small group leaders who he is sending out on his behalf, on behalf of the church that he works for, on behalf of the Lord Jesus, to go and reach more people. His church oversees 100 widows and approximately 500 orphans. (laughs) I can't do that. So I'm gonna go and spend time with these guys and send them out to go spend time with the widows and the orphans. And I will take as much time as it needs, and I want them to take as much time as it needs. Would your family say that you're always putting them first? And that when you're spending time with your kids and your phone rings, you just go, don't worry about it, I'm with you right now. Or do you answer your phone? Consistently ordinary leads to extraordinary results, and that's just not a life that we live right now. So here's, here's how I want to close this out. It is just with this idea that if, if you're anyone who's alive, you've witnessed the wrong side of this. You've witnessed the person who is judgmental, who is spiteful, who is prideful, Christian or not, you've seen that person. And it's important to know this, that we as Christ followers are living examples of Christ, but as much as we want to be the perfect examples, we never will be. And so if, if you or anyone else is looking to me as their image of Christ, you will be disappointed because you'll want me to be this. You'll say, this is what I need and what I want. And I might be able to be this for a day or for a week, but at some point I'm going to be this or this or this or this or this or this. And it's not what you wanted. And I'm going to disappoint you. Here's what's great about Jesus is that he says, I am this. 
this is Jesus. This is, I'm constant. This is where I reside. His word says everything we need to know about him is this. And so we know if I follow Jesus, this is what I get. The problem is as followers of Jesus, some days we're like this, we're right with him. And some days we're here and some days we're here and some days we're here and some days we're here. And the day that we're here is the day that someone else sees us and goes, that person says that they're a follower of Christ. This must be what Christ is. But that's the day that we're far from what Christ looks like. That doesn't mean that we're far from Christ, but it does mean that as living examples, we're not killing it in that game. Someone else might actually see Jesus and they go, Jesus is disappointing because this is what Jesus should be. But that's only because we've decided that this is what Jesus should be. Jesus has said, this is what I am. This is who I am. We go, I want you to be this. And he goes, well, I'm not going to be. And that's on us. We have to change what we desire to be Jesus. And so for those of you out here who are Christ followers, we have to understand that our goal is not for people to follow us. It's for people to follow Christ. But for people to get a good picture of who Jesus is, we have to be as close to him as possible. Your job isn't to be Jesus. Your job is to follow Jesus. And one of the best ways that we can follow Jesus is just by consistently, ordinarily doing what he says to do. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much. And God, I honestly just wish that it was easier to be consistently ordinary. I wish that the things that you asked us to do were easier sometimes. I wish that the things you asked us to do maybe gave us more credit sometimes, but that's honestly, that's just my own sin. That's just my own pride talking. And so God, I pray that, that we would be better, stronger followers of you, that when people see us, they see you, that, that we don't want people to see us and commend us because of how we are, that when they see us, it glorifies you and they go, what's different about them? And that they investigate and they find you. God, I pray that we would continue every single day to grow closer to you and that we would use that as the opportunity to share you with others, that we would, that we would lead our, our workplace, our families, our neighborhoods, our communities, and just consistently ordinarily making an extraordinary impact because of what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.